sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. It's Friday night, and that means it's time for Sci Friday on the Twilight Beacon, when we bring you two classic science fiction stories that will thrill you and chill you. Our first story tonight is Nightfall by Isaac Asimov, from Dimension X on September 29, 1951. Isaac Asimov is one of the most universally beloved science fiction authors in the history of the genre. Born in Russia, Asimov and his family immigrated to America when he was three. He earned a PhD in chemistry, but only briefly worked as a chemist during World War II and as a biochemistry teacher at Boston University before becoming a full-time writer. His writing style was unique among science fiction authors of the time. His informal prose was a contrast to the more academic tone of many science fiction stories. Asimov also broke with the expectations of the genre by rarely writing about alien life, even when his stories were set in distant space. However, he did write extensively about how he imagined the future would look with humans, living alongside artificial beings of their own making. In fact, Asimov played a central role in popularizing sci-fi stories about robots and androids, and he coined related terms still used today, such as robotics. Asimov's laws of robotics, which he created as a fictional set of rules to regulate the actions of artificial intelligence, are still often referenced by works of modern science fiction as an homage to his creativity and brilliance. Dimension X was the premier radio show dedicated entirely to science fiction during its two-year run in 1950 and 51. The stories were mostly adapted from contemporary short stories, which were popular in literary magazines and other periodicals of the day. The host of Dimension X was Norman Rose, who was affectionately called the Voice of God by his colleagues, due to the natural resonance and deep tones of his voice. Nightfall was one of Asimov's most popular works, and in 1968, the Science Fiction Writers of America voted it the best science fiction story in history. The setting of this story is the planet Lagash, which is populated by humans in the far future. Lagash is lit by six suns, and so its people have never known the darkness of night. When a rare upcoming eclipse is predicted to throw their world into full darkness, a group of scientists begins to prepare for the potentially catastrophic results. And now, we present Isaac Asimov's Nightfall, as heard on Dimension X in September of 1951. Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in Future Tense. Dimension X. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, bring you Dimension X. Ralph Waldo Emerson speculated 
If the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would man believe and adore and perceive for many generations the remembrance of the city of God? Now this was philosophically interesting, but on the edge of the galaxy there is a planet which swings on its orbit in a cluster of six suns. These suns hang in the sky above. Never less than two shine down through the entire 23.8 hours of the planet's day. The yellow light has burned down on the planet continuously into the past, till the mind of man runneth not to the contrary. Theremin was a reporter for the Cerro City Chronicle. He covered them all, from the night police beat to politics to the sports pages. And the city editor wanted him to cover the biggest story of the year, perhaps of all time. It was an interview, a particularly difficult interview. But then, since his first days as a cub, Theremin had specialized in difficult interviews. He didn't expect violence, though, from an astronomer. You're from that newspaper? Well, you've got a lot of gall coming here. Now, wait a minute, Dr. Atton. It's only a job. I've read your paper. You've been riding this observatory for two months now. You've attacked me personally. I have nothing to say to you. All right, look, this is your chance to get your side in the paper. I'll give it to you straight. Two months ago, the observatory issued a press statement that the world was coming to an end. Now, that's the same story that the cult of... Revelations has been preaching. And when a scientist backs that up, it's news. Our conclusions have nothing to do with the cult. The cult of Revelations is full of superstition and mysticism. We are scientists. Yeah. And you got the people pretty angry. That does not matter. <laughs> you know, if I can't get the story from you, I'll have to go somewhere else. Go ahead. All right. You know, Dr. Raton, the paper can be pretty rough on someone who doesn't cooperate. Young man, if you're not out of the observatory within five minutes, I shall call the police. Now get out. The reporter walks down the long hall from the observatory. The light filters through the high windows, the yellow light of gamma, the brightest of the six suns in the planet's sky. Beta is almost at zenith. Its red light floods the landscape to an unusual orange. The planet's sun, Alpha, is at the antipodes. And now as Gamma sinks below the horizon, the red dwarf sun, Beta, is alone, grimly alone. It's a short drive from the observatory to Cerro City, and the red light glares from the highway. The temple of the cult stands, hewn from the solid rock of the Dormite Mountains, outside the city. And in the inner courtyard stands Sor, the priest of the cult. Woe to the unbelievers! Their souls will rot with the absence of light. Sor! Sor, wait! Your reverence, please! Please. Tell me, Your reverence, what will happen? What are you waiting for here? The day. The day of the coming written in our doctrine of revelations it came to pass that the sun beta was alone in the sky the world was shrunken and cold 
men to assemble in the public squares and highways. Their minds were troubled and their speech confused, for the souls of men awaited the coming of the stars. The lip of the cave of darkness passed the edge of Beta, and loud were the cries of men. There was no light on the surface of the world. In this blackness there appeared the stars in countless numbers. In that moment, the souls of men departed from them. Their abandoned bodies became even as beasts. And the stars then reached down the heaven's flame. And where it touched, the cities of the world flamed to destruction. So that of man and all the works of man naught remained. So it is written. Sharon, you're the only scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. In the hideout? The place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. Well, now, wait a minute. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people. They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave records. Survive? Survive what? Oh, there are lots of names for it. The cultists have their myths. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What about that? What is there to these myths? As a matter of fact, what is there to this, this doctrine of revelation? I'm a psychologist, not an archaeologist. How true it is, I don't know. But the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear, and there is a total darkness. And then they say things appear called stars. Of course, men go mad. They mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions, but that is the central idea. Yeah. Well, that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There are not now, only beta. Dr. Sharon, you mean that there's going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow? That all mankind will go violently insane? What, what's behind that? Well, for one thing, this is history of civilization of the world. We've located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own, all of which, without exception were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. All right, all right. But is there any scientific theory behind this and that, that would explain it? The University Observatory finished their calculations two months ago. Tomorrow there will be an eclipse of beta so that the planet will become dark. That eclipse comes every 2,049 years. Darkness comes. Maybe those mysterious stars that no man has ever seen. And then, madness and the end of civilization. I see. And the scientists expect to live through this at the hideout, huh? They plan to photograph the eclipse and leave the records, and then the rest of mankind will know what to expect. Mm-hmm. 
Dr. Sharon, what is there in darkness to drive men mad? Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? No, no, but I know what it is. It's just... Well, no light. Draw the curtain. Well, what for? If we had four or five suns out there, we might want to cut the light down for comfort, but with only beta... That is the point. Just draw the curtain and then come here and sit down. All right. Dr. Sharon, I can't see you. Feel your way. Yeah, but I can't see. I can't see anything. Do you like it? Well, no, no, it's awful. Walls. They seem to be closing in on me. I want to keep pushing them away. All right. Draw the curtain back again. The light. The light. Dr. Sharon, have you, have you got a drink? Right here. That was just a dark room. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really so bad. You're afraid. Yes, I am. Just darkness can do that? This isn't just a metaphysical theory, young man. It's promulgated from observed data. Come with me. Where? The locked ward down the corridor. All right. Were you at the Saro City Centennial Exposition two years ago? No, I was overseas on assignment. You remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't there some fuss about it? The Anti-Vice Society had it shut down? It was shut down, all right, but the Blue Noses had nothing to do with it. Oh? That tunnel was nothing but a mile-long passage through darkness. You rode in a little car, and it took 15 minutes to get through. Very popular while it lasted. Popular? There's a fascination in being frightened when it's part of a game. Absence of light is one of the instinctive human fears. People came out of that 15 minutes of darkness shaking and half dead with fear. Half dead? I thought there were some deaths. Bad hearts, but that wasn't the big danger. Now, which key is this? Ah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Dr. Sharon. Where are we going? You'll see. No, the heart attacks were actually good for business, but there was something else. Here, I'll show you. I want you to see somebody. Latimer. Latimer. Go away. Latimer, I want you to meet somebody. This is Mr. Theremin. No. Now go away. Hello? He's pushing me. Make him stop pushing me. Go away. I'm not touching him. What's wrong? Latimer is afraid. The walls. They're falling in on me. The walls. I, I've got to get out. Let me out. You can't go out, Latimer. It's all right. I've got to get out. Let me out. Let me out. <laughs> At sleeping period, we have to give him a shot of morphine. Otherwise, he'd bat his brains out against the wall. Well, what's wrong with him? Nothing. Nothing but 15 minutes in the darkness of the tunnel of mystery. Oh, doctor, that's impossible. One person out of ten came out of the tunnel that way. That's why we had to shut it down. Why? Why should darkness do that? It's obvious man cannot exist without light. Longer periods of darkness would obviously be fatal. 
The scientific theory is that the consciousness of light is necessary for mental activity. Please, please, doctor, let me outside. Let me outside. Please, I can't breathe. They're pushing me. They're always pushing me. I can't stand them. I can't stand them. <laughs> there you are, Theremin. That's what 15 minutes of darkness will do. Man just wasn't built to operate without light. There are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time more. Yeah. Just 15 minutes of darkness. Now then, look out of that window. Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. Black. Everything black. And the stars, whatever they are, well, can you conceive it? Your mind wasn't built for that conception. When the real thing comes, you'll go mad completely and permanently. There's no question of it. Tomorrow, there won't be a city left standing in the world. Well, why, Doctor? Why should the cities be destroyed? If you were in darkness, what would you want more than anything else? What would it be that every instinct would call for light? And how would you get light? I don't know. You'd burn something and every city in the world will go up in flames. Shall we go back to my office, Mr. Theremin, and have another drink? Through the skies, the red sun beta shines alone. The wind howls across the city. It's cold, colder than man can remember. As the hour approaches, the reporter goes out and speaks to the man in the street. Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, but I'm from the Chronicle. I'd like to talk to you. Ah, a reporter, huh? That's right. My name is Pallet. Two L's. Remember the two L's. Uh, all right. Uh, Mr. Pallet, what's your occupation? Power technician at the North Division plant. Uh-huh. You're making some kind of a survey, huh? Yeah, yeah, in a way. Where are you going now? Home for supper. Well, how about, uh... Well, what I mean is, what, what are you going to do tonight? <laughs> you mean about this star stuff? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, mister. It don't stand to reason that the end of the world is going to come boom like that. It, it just don't stand to reason. In other words, you don't believe it. I didn't say that, but it just don't stand to reason. Uh-huh. Have you read what the scientists say? I don't read stuff like that. Only the headlines. Yeah. How about the cult? Well, now, like I always say, I, I've got nothing against religion. You don't believe them either? Well, they've always been shouting about doom and sin. Listen, bud, when you've been around as long as I have, you get to know the score. It's all right to preach that judgment day is coming and all, but just the same, I'm putting money in the bank. Uh-huh. Well, tell me, how about, uh... How about darkness? About what? How would you feel if there was no light? <laughs> you crazy? How could there be no light? Well, now, suppose, suppose all the suns went down at once. Suppose everything was black. Well, it's crazy. What's the use of supposing something like that? It, it couldn't happen. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's all. Thank you. Sure. Uh, look, mister, remember, pilot with two L's? <laughs> Excuse me, sir, but huh? I represent the Chronicle, and we're conducting a poll to determine public opinion with regard to the predicted end of the world. How do you feel about it? All this talk of scientific explanation. It's sinful. That's what it is. 
Oh, I see. Well, then you're a member of the cult, sir. I sure am. Been a member since I was a boy. My daddy was a member, too. I've seen the books. It's all written down in the books. Well, don't you believe the scientist's explanation? Don't need it. Going to save my immortal soul. Going to stay on the mountaintop in a white robe while the stars carry me away to glory. Blessed be the stars. Amen. Well, tell me, what are the stars? The glory. The breath of the heaven. The spirit of the ultimate. That's what they are. Uh-huh. Well, sir, the observatory has announced that it intends to take pictures of these stars. Blasphemy! I sold my house, gave all my money to the poor. Won't need it anymore. Going to heaven with stars. Glory, glory, going with the stars! Porter checks the stock exchange, the stores. Business at a standstill. Doesn't pay to buy anything today, not if the world's going to end tomorrow. There are predictions of economic collapse in the financial section, layoffs at the factories on the edge of the city. And through the streets, the people mill and turn, unsure, crying in fear or shouting with bravado. But the story isn't here in the city. And so as the hour approaches, the reporter goes again to the observatory, high in the hills. Now look, Dr. Raton, if you are right, if the world is going to be destroyed, what's the difference if I stay here and observe and take notes? Well, nothing, I suppose, but you'll be in the way. We have work to do. All right, if I stay out of the way. I can't be bothered with you. You'll have to leave, Mr. Theremin. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Sharon. Yeah, this place is like a morgue. It's freezing outside. The wind is enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all. It's so far away. Why aren't you in the hideout, Sharon? Me? I'm part of the race that isn't worth perpetuating. Who's got a bottle? There will be no alcohol today. It would be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. Well, all right, Thurman, you can stay, but keep out of the way. Well, thank you, Doctor. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time we took our positions. The observatory dome is up these stairs. Yes, sir. After you, Doctor. What's that? dome, quick! What is it? The plate. The photographic plates, they're all smashed. <laughs> there he is. A cultist. He's going for the telescope. After him. I've got him. This one must be destroyed. It must be. It's all right. It's all right. He didn't harm anything. Let him up. Well, that's the high priest, Dr. Radon. Sore is his name. I was talking to him yesterday. What do you want, Sore? Nothing that you would give me of your own free will. I made a bargain with the cult to give me certain data you had. In return, I promised to prove the essential truth of the creed. There was no need to prove that. Stands proved by the doctrine of revelations. I offered scientific backing for you believers. You made of the darkness and the stars a natural phenomenon, removed all its real significance. That was blasphemy. The facts exist. Your facts are a fraud and a delusion. How do you know? I know. I suppose you think in trying to warn the world against the menace of madness, we are placing souls in jeopardy. Well, we have not succeeded, if that makes you feel better. Your devilish instruments must be destroyed. 
We obey the will of the stars. Someone call the police in Cerro City. There's no time for that. Let me handle this. The eclipse is only a few minutes away. Look, Saw. Will you give your word of honor to cause no trouble? I will not. Listen. Just as soon as the eclipse starts, we're going to take you and put you in a closet with the door closed, and you'll stay there. Then you won't see the darkness, and you won't see the stars. And that means the loss of your immortal soul according to the cult. All right now, will you give your word of honor? You have it. You will all be damned for your deeds of today. Look! Cameras! Yes, sir. Check the exposures carefully. We will, sir. You're shaking, Mr. Theremin. Well, I, I don't feel very well, that's all. You're not losing your nerve? No, no, I'm just not used to this. You could probably make the hideout. Now look, I've been assigned to cover a story and intend to cover it. Professional honor? Yeah. And I'd give my right arm for a bottle right now. I need a drink. Well, what's that? The cultist. That's the doctrine of revelations. Well, I don't understand it. He's chanting some old cycle language. The doctrine of revelations was originally written in it. There are probably two million people in Saro City who are trying to join the cult. One gigantic revival. And Dr. Sharon, how do the cultists manage to keep the doctrine of revelations going from cycle to cycle? If everyone goes mad, who wrote this doctrine? There are some people who don't see the stars, the blind. They would have memories, and that, combined with the confused, incoherent babbling of the mad, form the basis for the doctrine of revelations. The cult will be riding high down there in the city, I hope they make the most of it. Dr. Sharon. Dr. Sharon. I've just heard from hideout on private line. They're in trouble? They are safe. But the city is in shambles. You have no idea. Get worse. What are you shaking about, Doctor? <laughs> How do you feel? I don't understand. The cultists are rousing the people to storm the observatory, promising them salvation, promising them anything. How long till the total eclipse? An hour. I'm going to check those cameras. It's a gamble. It'll take time to get a mob out here. If the darkness comes first, we're all right. Look at Beta. Yeah. It's cut in half. It's getting darker. An interesting phenomenon. My collar's suddenly tight. Are you having any difficulty in breathing? No. Why? Difficulty in breathing is one of the first symptoms we've experimented. I'm cold. It seems to be getting colder. We'd better keep our minds on something else. Yeah. One of the astronomers has a theory about the stars. He thinks they may be suns that are too far away to see in, in the light. He developed a fantasy about a planet revolving around one sun. It's a mathematical possibility. Of course, there couldn't be any life. Part of the planet would always be dark and without light. Well, it's obvious. Without light, there can't be any life. It's time for the artificial light. We can't read the instruments. Artificial light? One of the researchers in the university worked it out. It's animal grease packed around a wick. Here, I light it with this spark. Why, it's beautiful. Yellow light. After four hours of red. It's beautiful. Light. Light.
The dome is quiet. The priest in his yellow robe sways slowly as his lips move in the ancient tongue. Over and over he whispers the invocation to the stars. The technicians hunch over the instruments, and the sky gradually turns a horrible deep purple red. The air grows denser. Dusk, like a palpable entity, enters the room. The dancing circle of yellow light about the torches etches itself into ever sharper distinction against the ever-gathering grayness beyond. Outside, Beta is a mere smoldering splendor, taking a last look at the world. The western horizon in the direction of the city is lost in darkness, and along the highway to the observatory surges a menacing, shadowy mass. The mob from the city, they're coming. How long till total eclipse? Fifteen minutes, but that mob will be here in five. We'll hold them off. Come on, Thurman, downstairs. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no light down there. We have to block the door. Come on. I can't. I can't breathe. I can't go down there. Take a torch. We'll take light with us. Come on. Atom! Atom! I'm here. Did you bar the door? They won't get in. All right now, everybody. One minute till totality. One minute. Just before totality, I'm changing the plate. That will leave one of you for each camera. Now remember, if you feel yourself going, get away from the camera. It's dark. It's getting dark. Sharon? Sharon, where are you? I can't see you. I'm Sharon. right here. 30 seconds. Ah! Look out, the priest. I can't see him! And the wicked shall perish, and the souls of the true believers shall be transported in glory to the stars! You can see him against the torch. Don't let him get to the telescope! From the stars there reached down a heavenly flame, and where it touched, the cities of the world flamed to utter destruction! Grab him! Grab him! I'll take care of him! The world must be destroyed by the stars! I got him! I got him! <laughs> Five seconds to totality. Four, three, two, one. The sky is black, and through it shine the stars. 30,000 minute suns shine down in soul-searing splendor. It's more frightening in its awful indifference than the bitter wind that shivers across the horrible, cold, bleak world. The stars. The stars! The stars! The walls! The walls are coming in on me! They're coming in! Light! Light! Darkness! Forever and ever and ever, and the walls are breaking in! We did not know! We did not know! We did not know! On the horizon in the direction of the city, a crimson glow begins growing. A thousand fires strengthen in brightness that is not the glow of the sun. A million fires, as a world mad in the darkness screams in terror for the light. The night has come again.
have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. With this program, Dimension X concludes the present series. We hope to return to the air in the near future. Watch your local newspaper and listen to your local station for the resumption of the series. Dimension X is presented transcribed each week by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. Today, Dimension X has presented Nightfall, written for radio by Ernest Kinoy from the story by Isaac Asimov. Featured in the cast were Lyle Soudreau as the reporter, Cameron Prudhomme as the astronomer, and John McGovern as the psychologist. Your host, Norman Rose, Music by Bert Behrman. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Fred Way. You just listened to Isaac Asimov's Nightfall from Dimension X as originally aired on September 29, 1951. Our next story is Northern Lights from Quiet, Please on January 30, 1949. Science fiction stories were not common on the Quiet, Please radio program but this script is an excellent example of how horror tales can incorporate theoretical technology. In such stories, the results are usually tragic, and this one is no exception. The premise of Northern Lights sounds ridiculous. An experiment in teleportation accidentally opens up our world to a small caterpillar, named Isabella by the scientists involved. The caterpillar enjoys extreme cold and likes to sing, and may represent an existential threat to all humanity. See, it does sound ridiculous, but have a listen, and you'll hear a story far more terrifying than you'd presume. And now, Northern Lights, as heard on Quiet Please in January of 1949. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called Northern Light. This is a story about the temporal displacement of mass. It is also a story about teleportation. Do you know what those terms mean? No, I didn't think you did, but you stay right where you are, my charming friend, and you're quite likely to find out. You just stay right there and listen. I'll tell you everything you want to know. And maybe, well, maybe a couple of things you're not terribly anxious to know. Ever see the Northern Lights? Aurora Borealis is their right name. You don't see them very often below the 50th parallel of latitude in this country, but up in northern Minnesota and Canada, upper New York, places like that, they're quite common of a winter night. If you've seen them, you know what they look like. If you haven't, there's no use by trying to describe them. Sometimes they fill a whole northern sky with waves of color, like a fire burning way beyond the horizon. 
Sometimes they're just long streamers of fire filling up the whole sky. And another time they look like gigantic, fringed curtains of pure light, swaying as if some cold cosmic breeze plucked at them, way far off there to the north. And you can hear them, too, sometimes. Well, maybe not exactly hear them, but, but there's a sound, a humming, a, that crackling somewhere inside your head. And there are times when you'd swear it's a voice talking to you, talking in some kind of strange language you can almost understand, filling your whole being with a kind of desperate, inescapable terror. You know what I mean? At night, in the cold night, voices talking and saying things to you that you can almost understand, filling the night sky with signs and portents of inescapable terror. And nobody, nobody in the whole world knows what they are, nobody in this world at least, except me. And after I get done talking to you, you'll know too. And you won't be happy. Let me show you something now. This is from a recording I made on, uh, let's see, December 13th, 1948, a little more than a month and a half ago. I started the recorder while Norman and I were just about finished with our work that afternoon here in the laboratory. I just set the microphone on top of the file cabinet there and turned on the machine. Listen, I'm going to play it back for you. The quality isn't so very good, but you can recognize my voice and, and Norman's, I think. Here. Uh, I got the call rewound now, I guess. Did you test it? How can I test it when I said I just got a rewound? Well, hurry up. It's almost six o'clock. Yeah. Well, it's dark, but I didn't realize the time. Hurry up. I'm hurrying. Um, be a display tonight, you suppose? How do I know? Been a display the last three nights. Well, that was a dinger last night, wasn't it? Yeah, the machine wasn't ready. Hey, listen, now, do you think you can do better than I can? Ouch! What's the matter? Oh, I stuck my finger. Where'd you... Where'd you put the copper sulfate? Um, oh, uh, up above the sink. Huh? Uh, I got it. What are you doing? Testing the coil. How's it? Oh, it looks okay. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, it's okay. I'll be right with you. Uh, hook it up. What are you going to send? Try my cigarette lighter. That won't work anyway. I'll, I won't miss it if we don't get it back. I don't know how the thing will work when the northern lights aren't shining. Well, maybe they are shining. Turn off the room light. Let's see. All right. Pretty early, I uh... What's the matter? Hey, look. Ooh. Out early tonight. Oh, boy, that's fine. The whole sky. Look. Blue and yellow. I, I never saw those long fringes. Before. Never the same. Oh, say, did you turn on the recorder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's turning over. Let's see. <clears throat> now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their party. Now leave it alone. Uh, you about ready now? Well, it's funny about the Aurora. Northern Lights? Listen to this well, part closely, friend. Oh, I don't know. Remember what I told you. Y you can almost hear the darn things. Uh, not hear them, I mean, but it's... Uh, it's kind of like somebody talking to you in a language you can you can almost understand. I don't know. I mean, do you ever notice it? Sure. High frequencies, I guess. 
Something. Awful lot we don't understand. Look, uh, you go there at the recorder and talk into the mic. Talk what? Well, just describe what happens for the record. I know I'm not, sir. I know you're not, but just say what you see so we'll have an accurate record. Okay. Now? Go ahead. <clears throat> this is an experiment in the temporal displacement of a solid object. Uh, in other words, the first actual demonstration of a time machine. If it works. It'll work all right. Go on. Paul is now placing his old beat-up cigarette lighter on the stage of the hypercucambulator, and he is now setting the microchronometer to determine how far into the future he's going to send the lighter. Well, how far, Paul? Uh, ten seconds. Ten seconds. Now, at, at the end of that time, if our calculations are correct, and we hope they are, the cigarette lighter will reappear. In that period of time, it will have been into the future. Uh, we could send it farther into the future if we wanted to, I guess, but we'd just have to wait that much longer for time to catch up with it and make it reappear. But ten seconds, well, I mean, uh, we can prove our point by sending it ten seconds into the future just as well as ten years ahead, and this way we don't have to wait so long. Hey, how am I doing, Paul? I go into your commercial. When Paul presses the little button, the cigarette lighter will turn to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not right. It'll be here, but it'll be ten now, seconds. listen away. closely, please. Yeah. Well, now, uh, going to happen? Mr. Paul McGilligate, a famous mad scientist, is about to press the big old button and send his lighter into the future. You ready, Paul? Here we go. Stand by. Look. Gone. By golly, it is gone. It just disappeared. Bang, like that. Hold your watch up close to the mic, Paul. So it'll record. Yeah. Um, the, the, the written sign of the lighter. Uh, the little stage on which Paul placed it is empty, and it should uh, appear again in, in just a second if it really did work. Three, two, one. It's back! It's back, Norm! It worked! We made it! Oh, man, let's, let's see if it's all right. Oh, Jack! Oh, now what? Oh, the lighter. Oh, it's cold, Paul. Ooh, here, here, here. Take it, take it, Paul. Take it. It's freezing cold. <laughs> what do you know? The darn thing's like a piece of ice. Now, where the dickens do you suppose it's been in that ten seconds? No, wait, friend. You know, That's not right. the payoff yet. You said, oh, only in the future. Listen. And time's caught up with it. it. It's back, but... Hey, Paul, look. Where did that come from? What? There on the stage where the lighter was. Where'd that come from? In the middle of winter. What is it? It's a caterpillar, Paul. A brown and black caterpillar. Well, where do you suppose it came from? Well, it wasn't there. Was I'll, I'll tell you where it came from, Paul. What? It came from the same place where the cigarette lighter went. What are you talking about? Well, feel it, Paul. Feel its fur. See? It's as cold as ice, too. A caterpillar. A little brown and black caterpillar, the kind they call woolly bears. You know, larva of the tiger moth, the Icy Isabella. In the dead of winter and as cold as ice. Where did it come from? Huh? You want to know. Incidentally, you know, the old timers say that the woolly bear caterpillar is a weather prophet. If the brown bands on his fur are narrow, there's a severe winter ahead. If they're wide, it's going to be a mild winter. This one, you could hardly see the brown bands. Tough weather ahead, that's what the old-timers would say. 
But where'd she come from? She wasn't there when we put the cigarette lighter on the stage. When time caught up again, there she was. She? Sure, Isabella. I see her, Isabella. I told you, remember? Well, she was wriggling happily when she arrived from somewhere in the future. But as she warmed up, she seemed to go into a trance, almost a, a death-like trance. So Norman said, put her in the deep freeze. Maybe she'll come to again in the cold. So we put her in the deep freeze. And in half an hour, when we looked in at her, she was wiggling happily. At ten degrees below zero, Fred. Now, can you tie that? My goodness, she should have been frozen solid. Well, nothing special happened for a couple of days. That, you remember, was a month and a half ago, December 13th, 1948. Where were you on the night of December 18th? Uh, Saturday night, a week before Christmas. I'd been Christmas shopping in the afternoon, I remember. I came back to the laboratory to check up on some stuff. And Norman was there, fiddling with things. Hi, Norm, I said. How's Isabella? You know something funny, Paul? What's the matter with you? Well, me? You look so pale. You sick? Eat something disagreed with you? Paul, Isabella's singing. Singing what? Isabella's singing. <laughs> You're dotty. She's singing. The caterpillar's singing. Not tap dancing, I hope. I'm not kidding you. Oh, cut it out. Open the deep freeze and listen. You've been at the C2H50H? I haven't had a drink since Thursday night. Well, now, what? Open you... the deep freeze and listen. No kidding? No kidding. Well, we, we don't know where she came from. I won't be surprised at anything. Hello, Isabella. Hey, don't do that. What's the matter? Afraid she'll have to be back? Well, I don't know what. <laughs> Hello, Isabella. <laughs> I hear you singing. I told you. I don't hear anything. Now, listen, Paul. I haven't lost my buttons. I've been hearing it all afternoon. I couldn't figure out what was doing it, and then I noticed it was louder alongside the deep freeze here. So I opened it up and stuck my head inside, and it was coming from her. Yeah. yeah. What does it sound like, Norm? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, uh... A-E-I... A-E-I? Didn't she say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes W-Y? Now, don't rib me. I tell you, I heard it. <laughs> I think you better take a Christmas vacation, Norm. I'm not, no. I know, kid, I know, but listen. We've been playing around with some pretty deep cosmic secrets, you and me. We've managed temporal displacement, which nobody in the world has ever done, see... Maybe we both need a rest. You know what I think, Paul? What? I think we've managed teleportation, too. And we don't know it. Teleportation? You mean like Charles Ford talks about? I mean transporting tangible objects from one place to another without any mechanical means. Electronically? I don't know, Paul. All I know is that that cigarette lighter was someplace where it was awful cold. And it wasn't cold here in this room. Well. And where did that caterpillar come from? I don't know it came from wherever that cigarette lighter went, Paul. But where? I don't know. Somewhere. And you know what? I'm going to find out where it came from. You are? And how, may I ask you? I'm going to modify this gadget of ours, this hypercucambulator, so that it'll carry a man. And then, my dear boss, I'm going to sit down in it and have you send me out there somewhere in time and space and come back and tell you all about it. That's all for tonight, bud. What? Come on, I'll take you out and buy you a drink. I'm not fooling, Paul. Okay, okay, you're not fooling, Norm. Get your hat and coat and come on. 
I prescribe hot buttered rum. Well... Turn off the lights. Will you listen to me for a minute? Turn off the lights. I want hot buttered rum. Okay, okay. Gosh, look out of that window. The northern lights. Oh, they're really bright tonight. They sure are. Look how they pulse. Up, down. Up, down. Norm. Up, one. Look at the deep freeze there in the dark. What about? You see it? Light, Paul. Light. It's a... It's... I see it, Norm. It's right in step with the northern lights. And the same color. Red, red. Blue, blue. Up, down. Up, Coming down. from the deep freeze where our little friend down. Isabella was singing to you. Now, what hey, do you... Paul, listen. I don't... Listen. Endlessly repeating A-E-I-O-U, the vowel sounds of our speech. And watching the light that pulsed up from the deep freeze in perfect rhythm with the flickering of the northern lights we watched through the window. And we thought long, long thoughts that I, I don't remember any too clearly now. I do know we both of us thought of ways to perfect our little mechanism, our time machine. Our machine that brought back a little cold brown and black caterpillar from somewhere. And when it was morning, and the lights had faded from the northern skies, we found that our machine was very different. The stage where we found the caterpillar was larger now. I had only a vague recollection of what had happened in the night. I said to Norm, Norman, I said, what did we do last night? I don't know for sure, Paul. Did we... Rebuild that thing? Make it larger? I don't know. I... It seems... Well, I mean, I think I dreamed I was working on it. I think I hit my finger with a hammer. I see. Hmm. Thumb's all bruised. Certainly looks it. Well, nobody could have gotten in here. The door's locked. The machine's certainly different. This coil, I think. Look. It's rewound it. Did I do that? My head hurts. Mine, too. I don't get it. I don't either. I wish I could. Listen, Norm. What? Maybe we did change it. But I... Well, how could we have done all that by ourselves? I've got an idea. What? Why, maybe... Isabella helped us. The caterpillar? Oh, Let's see, shall we? Open the deep freeze. Well, I opened it. It was empty. There wasn't any brown and black caterpillar in the deep freeze. We took a flashlight and looked over every inch of it. We stood there and looked at each other. For a whole minute. Norman said, well. I just shook my head. We went over and sat down. All of a sudden I said, I found her, Norman. And there she was. There was little Isabella, the caterpillar, crumpled up stone dead on the floor of the laboratory. 
Well, you know, caterpillars have little tiny paws. And one of Isabella's paws was the end of a long piece of wire that ran up to the generator coil. Well, how did she get out? And I said the thing couldn't be opened from the inside. I said it was fastened down tight when I took the lid off just now. But she did get out. Maybe. Maybe she did help us, Norm, I said. And he just sat there and stared at me. And I got up and put on my overcoat. Where are you going? Where are you going, Paul? I said, I'm going to find out something, Norman. Where I'm going, it's cold, I said. I know that, and I'm going to find out what's been going on and where that caterpillar came from. Norm goggled at me. I stepped on the stage of the machine that was to take me away somewhere in time and space. I said, Norm, turn it on. I know, Paul, I know. It's daylight, and there aren't any northern lights. Well, it was just as well. I had a chance to think about it a little, and I realized that just an overcoat wouldn't do me any good where I might be going. And so when it was dark night again, and northern lights were flickering and dancing in the sky, I put on a high-altitude aviator suit that had its own source of heat supply. Norman shook his head as I got back on the stage. Nodded for him to press the switch. Cold. You've never been cold, friend. Dark. You wouldn't know how dark it can get. Then I was standing on an immense plain that stretched so far, so far into the distance, a plain of snow and eternal ice. A dead, cold, white world with the blackest sky above me. And the northern lights reached from horizon to horizon. Even through the high-altitude suit, I could feel a biting cold. And I was afraid, shivering, abjectly afraid. The streamers of the northern lights reached down toward me and wrapped about me. I heard the sound of voices screaming into my mind. I, I could understand them. I wished heartily I'd never played around with cosmic forces. I yelled inside the heavy helmet. I yelled, Norman! Norman, bring me back! And there was nobody to hear me. No, I don't know where I was. Another planet? Maybe the North Pole? Maybe the lights were all around me. Maybe that's where it was, but... It was the most terrible, awful, cold, lonely place you could imagine in a hundred years. The lights, the flickering, living lights crawled over me and beat at me. I could almost understand what they were saying. And then, the crash. The sudden blackness. I was standing again in the laboratory. I'd left only a few short seconds ago, and Norman was tearing at the fastenings of my suit and beating at me with both hands. I wondered what in the world he was doing until I got the helmet off. He was brushing caterpillars off me. Thousands of cold, freezing cold, brown and black Isabella caterpillars. 
bed for a week or more. I don't know how long. Wherever it was I'd been, I'd nearly frozen to death in those short seconds. And at last, I was able to come back to the laboratory. I sat there that night with Norman. And outside the windows, the northern lights were brighter than they'd ever been before. Purple, green, yellow, black lights even. And there was a new rhythm tonight. A kind of code. Almost words. Thoughts. Not quite formed and yet curiously disturbing. Norman, though, didn't seem to be as disturbed as I was. He, he just sat quietly and looked at me. Where did those caterpillars come from, Paul? I don't know. Where I was, that's all I know. Did you... Did they attack you? Or... I don't know. They came from the lights. The lights? The northern lights. Where are they, Norman? The caterpillars? Yes. Where are they? In the deep freeze, where Isabella was. Poor Isabella. What's the matter with you, Paul? I'm listening. Listening to what? Well, don't you hear them? I don't hear anything. Don't you? I don't hear anything. Well, listen. Listen. I don't hear anything. Turn on the recording machine. I want to see if we could pick up their voices. There isn't anything. Turn it Paul. on. Turn it on. I want a recording. Quick. Quick, Norman. They're talking to us. Listen, friend. I want to play you another recording. This is what came out of our tape recorder that night when I was listening to the voices. And Norman couldn't hear anything. Just listen. I still don't hear anything, Paul. Be still, listen. I tell you, I... Listen. What's that? Look at the deep freeze. The top's coming open. Look at the light around it, Paul. Be quiet. Watch. How did they... Good Lord, look. The caterpillars are coming out, Paul. Look at them. There's millions of them. Be still, Norman. But, but, but Paul, you, your voice... Be still, I said. What's the matter with your voice? We want to talk to you. You what? You you said we. Why, of course, Norman. We. Who for the... It is Paul's voice, Norman. Paul's voice. Voice. But it is not Paul speaking. Listen. We speak to you. Paul! Not Paul. We, the people of the lights. We from the cold. We are speaking to you with Paul's voice. I tell you that... Paul's voice will tell you what to do when the time comes, Norman. We go to the machine now. Paul's mind is ours for a little time now. We go to the machine. The machine that brought us to your world from the world of the lights. Who are you? Who... The people of the lights. To take over this world of yours. Only this world of yours is so hot. We must have the cold world. And we know how to make it cold. What's the matter, Paul? Paul! So, so hot. No, no. Quick, Norman, turn on the machine. Send us to places in your world. No, our world. Hurry. So hot. Hurry, so hot. Paul! Hurry, hurry. Turn on the machine. (laughs) 
That's the end of the recording. No, I don't know. I don't have any recollection of it at all. But the recording's there, isn't it? That must be what happened. Anyway, when I woke up, Norman was gone, and there were no caterpillars in the place here. And our machine, our machine that took people and things away into time and space, was wrecked. I don't know what became of it. You heard what they said about my voice. They're going to take over this world and make it a cold world, like the one they came from. Wherever that is, and wherever they went. No, I don't know where they went, where the machine sent them. I do have ideas. Yes. Are you cold? It's freezing in here. And just for example, uh, you read the papers? Look at the newsreels. Did you see the pictures of the snow in Los Angeles? In subtropical Los Angeles, where it hasn't snowed for so many, many years? I wondered about it, too. I wonder if anybody saw any brown and black woolly bear caterpillars in Los Angeles. Larva of the tiger moth I see, Isabella. This Sci Friday episode of The Twilight Beacon, featuring two classic science fiction tales from the golden age of radio. You heard Nightfall, an Isaac Asimov story adapted for the September 29, 1951 airing of Dimension X, and Northern Lights, as broadcast on Quiet Please, January 30, 1949. The Twilight Beacon will return next Monday, October 25th, with an episode featuring two stories that enthusiastically imagine a more fitting death for a certain Austrian artist who became the world's most hated man. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and a schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.